You are listening to the PRC Students Podcast. This sermon was recorded during one of our former student nights. You can also find and watch this sermon on our YouTube channel. We pray that the Lord speaks to you throughout this message. Uh, welcome again. Uh, I'll add on to what Julian was saying earlier. Um, if it's your first time here this year, then go ahead and um, get a gift from us since this is the first time we're doing it. So I want to extend that invitation out as well. So this is our last week of the series called I'll Do It Tomorrow. We've been talking about change. We spoke about how there is a season for everything. And as there being seasons for everything, it means that change is inevitable. Whether you like it or not, you have to accept that change is a part of life. And as a Christian, we shouldn't avoid change. We shouldn't run away from change, whether it's out of fear or comfort. We should look to God for guidance through change. We spoke about what sanctification is. Sanctification uh, really just means changing to be more like God. It's different from salvation. Salvation happens once. Salvation happens from then. I'm sorry. Sanctification happens from then until we see Jesus in heaven. Tonight, I want to speak about the hard things about change because it's not always easy. Um, We've, at least for me, growing up in a Christian church, in in a Romanian Christian church, is this it? Is this the mic? All right. Here we go. I've never really been like persecuted for my faith. I've never really been um, at a place where I just felt like I was I was I was uncomfortable or or um, uh, was between a rock and a hard place. For the large part of my life, it was comfortable. I didn't really want to change, and why would I? Change requires work. Change requires a change of habit. It requires spiritual sweat, if you will. Those of you that play sports, whether it's in high school for your team or in the rec league or something, you know what I'm talking about. You know that to get better, you have to put in the work. You have to put in the hours. You don't just wake up one day and all of a sudden you're good, you're better. Every single day is a struggle. Every single day you have to push yourself a little more. I played basketball during high school and middle school, and I learned this firsthand. Uh, We would have practices like early in the morning, like 5 a.m., and it wasn't necessarily because there wasn't time after. It was because our team was like the worst one. So that was the only time they would let us practice, okay? So I would have to learn to change my habits, change the way I think so I could get up earlier and go to practice. They would drill into my mind how to have a perfect form when shooting. I didn't say I could shoot perfectly, but I said they taught me how to shoot perfectly and what My arm needs to look like the follow-through, the knees, everything. To this day, if you throw me a basketball, okay, first of all, it might hit me in the face. But if my reflexes are quick enough now, I'll catch it, and my muscle memory kicks in. Like I said, not a perfect shot, 
but I'll know the follow through, I'll know the jump, it just comes back to me. But that took a lot of work, years and years of practice, years and years of changing my habits, years and years of, uh, of waking up early, of staying up late and practicing. Uh, we as Christians have to change, we have to change our habits, and like I said, we have to put in spiritual sweat. I'm not talking about salvation here, right? Remember, there's a difference. Salvation is all from Jesus and nothing from us. Absolutely nothing from us. We accept it as a gift in his grace. He draws us to him and we are saved by his works and his righteousness alone. But from that point, we have a responsibility. Paul says it many times that when we were newborns, we craved milk. But at a certain point, that milk just wasn't enough. At a certain point, you had to have solid food, going from milk to applesauce to chicken to steak to whatever, right? You grow through there because you crave more and you change and you have to change. You have to change your habits, your appetites, your desires in order for you to grow. Sanctification means being more like God. Sanctification means being more and more like Jesus. And this is what Paul is telling Timothy in our scripture for tonight. And if you have your scripture with you, please open up to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll start with verse 6. 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll start with verse 6. A little bit of context here. Paul is writing to Timothy, and they're having a problem with false teaching. There's false teaching in the church of people saying that you have to do certain things or not do certain things in order to earn God's favor. And here's what Paul tells Timothy. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. If you put these things into practice, what things? If you put these things, you will be a good servant. The things that he was trained in. Timothy had learned, even from his mother and his grandmother, and certainly from Paul, how to read Scripture, how to pray to God, how to teach others about it, how to grow others about it. And Paul's saying, because you were trained in these things, now you have the ability to put them into practice. Because you yourself were changed by training yourself in these things, you are now able to put them into practice and to teach others. Now listen, this isn't meant just for the leaders of the church, not just for the pastors or for the deacons. It's meant for every Christian. We all have a responsibility to take what we've learned, develop good habits in training ourselves in Scripture, and then apply it in the church, apply it outside of the world. It's our responsibility to make sure, like in this context, um, that, that false teachings you know, don't creep into the church. And there are a lot of them. That's not the purpose of the message in this evening. We could be here a long time. But there are a lot of things that sound like Jesus, that almost look like Jesus, but they're not Jesus. They're just a little bit different. And a little bit different of Jesus is a whole different Jesus. In verse 7, he says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for 
godliness. In another translation, um, it replaces silly myths with uh, um, old wives' tales. Old wives' tales are those things that are uh, passed down generation to generation that probably started out true, but are just completely ridiculous. For example, we all know the greatest enemy of the Romanian people. Do you guys know what it is? Curentu. Oh, yes. You know what I'm talking about. Right? I mean, you open the window in the house when it's like 90 degrees, and like my grandma comes in, I'm like, shut it. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm sweating. Again, I'm sure it started off, you know, someone hundreds of years ago had an open window, and a blizzard of a wind came in and knocked them over, right? Curentu, and it started from there. But now it's like it gives you cancer pretty much, right? Like it's, it's kind of gone off the deep end. And um, for those of you that might not know, Romanian current just means like a wind stream, okay? It means I don't even, a, a draft. Thank you. That's what it is. Um, so it's these silly myths, right, that started true but got messed up along the way. And Paul says, have nothing to do with these. Have nothing to do with these. Get back to work. Read the Bible. Read Scripture. Read the letters that I'm sending you because they're from God and see what the truth is. Don't give in to these silly myths. Earlier in chapter 4, people were saying that they can't get married, that you have to abstain from marriage, from certain foods. And Paul's saying, where are these people coming up with these myths? Don't listen to them. They're mixing myth with truth. And that just becomes a lie. To be able to discern false from, to be able to, deter, to, to discern falsehoods from the truth, you must be solidly grounded in the Word of God. There is no other way. There's no shortcut. We have to train ourselves in reading the Word of God. Verse 8, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present of this life and also for the life to come. Physical training um, is, is just that. It applies only to the physical dimension. I was talking with, I um, don't want to say who earlier, but someone that um, is very, very good at lifting weights. I'm talking about like state records and stuff. Um, and that is, like, that just blows my mind, right? It blows my mind because to get to that point, the amount of training you have to put in and seriousness that you have to put in and, and work that you have to put in is, is just phenomenal. Sorry for calling you out, Gabe. I know everyone's looking at you. I know when I said that, everyone looked at you. But that's awesome. I'm sorry, but that's awesome. Just know if you tell me something before a sermon, I might use it, okay? I just might use it. Um, <laughs> But listen, that's great for everything physical, right? Even like mental, but like spiritual. It's a completely different ballgame. Spiritual covers every aspect of our life. It says that godliness or the Christian character and being like God permeates every aspect of your life. Business, family, school. Sports, everything, it permeates into every part of your life. 
That's why it's so much more important for us to not just train physically, to exercise, or to train, I don't know, cognitive games and development, try to keep our, 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 our minds sharp. But spiritual training is of the utmost importance. It has to be a good habit. Habits can be good or bad. If you have a bad habit, you're going to go around in circles. If you have a good habit, you walk the straight but narrow path. So I want to share with you tonight a few habits that will help us train in godliness. And I have five here if you're taking notes. Five habits for training in godliness. And the first one is from where we just read, from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. This requires not just training, but strict training. It requires, it requires putting everything you have into this and being serious about it. Strict training, serious training. An athlete is required to submit him or herself to really rigorous tests and exercises to compete at the highest level. We have the Super Bowl coming up this weekend. And Tom Brady, who's the quarterback for, for, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he's 43 years old, and he's in the Super Bowl. 43 years old. He takes his training very seriously. I mean, he wakes up at like 5.30 in the morning. He works out for like six hours a day. Um, he actually does play like brain games and everything to keep himself sharp. I mean, at that level, you have to train extremely seriously. Patrick Mahomes trains as well, but he's like 25. So, you know, it's like half the work for him. But 43, I mean, that's, that's amazing. They take it very, very seriously. And Paul writes that we as, believe, as, as believers must do the same to train ourselves for godliness. And this root word for train, this is really interesting. If you look at the root word, it actually comes from the Greek word to mean to literally exercise naked. To exercise naked. Because in ancient Greece, the men would go to exercise in the gymnasiums, as they were called, and they would take off their clothes because they knew if they were competing, if they were wrestling, if they had clothes on, those people would try to grab them and they would have an unfair advantage. They would have to let go of everything that they had and train seriously. Now stay with me for a second. This was the culture that they were in and Paul knew what he was saying. He said, you have to train yourselves. Look at these athletes. Paul used um, athletic metaphors all throughout Scripture, all throughout his letters. And he's saying to train yourself seriously and strictly, you have to let go of things that are hindering you. You have to let go of things that are holding you back. What kind of things are really holding you back from taking your growth seriously? I mean, maybe you've been a Christian for one, two, five, ten years, and you're in the same place or very similar. What sort of things are keeping you from growing, from changing? Is it an addiction? Is it something that is keeping you down and you're in bondage to it and you can't get rid of it? Is it fear? Do you fear what 
truly surrendering to God and changing for God would mean for your life right now. Because like I said, for me, for many years, it was comfort. I was very comfortable. And I admit, I had a little fear of changing because I didn't know what God would want me to do. Maybe it's a group of friends that you have that if you just mention God or Jesus, it gets awkward and it gets real quiet in there because the things that you were talking about five minutes before are completely different from the things that God will want you to talk about. Or maybe it's just laziness. As Julian was saying, procrastination last week, right? Procrastination, laziness. I'll get around to it when I get around to it. There's a quote from someone named William Law. And he said, the reason, the reason that we are not like the Christians from the first century, and the reason why we are not as pious as them is because, honestly, we just don't want to be. We just are not pursuing it. We look back at the heroes of our faith. We look back at the first century Christians at the Mars. And he's saying the only reason is because we're not pursuing it as seriously as they did. That's it. It's the same God. It's the same spirit. It's the same scriptures. It's us that have changed. It's not God. It's not his word. The only reason is because there might be this thread, this, 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 this uh, uh, sin of laziness in our lives or of fear or of addiction Nobody wakes up one day and all of a sudden is fully trained. Are you taking this seriously? Do you have a plan, a regimen? Do you have just a, 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 a drive to say, you know what? I want to take this seriously. I want to wake up and I want to I read. I want to pray. I want to fast. Again, we're not doing this to earn God's favor or earn his grace. They're two separate things. We can't go to extremes here. We have to realize we have a responsibility to grow and to ask the Holy Spirit for help in this. A second habit that we need to have is steadfast obedience. The first was strict training and then steadfast obedience. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 with verse 5, Paul says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. There are some games or some sports that have very simple rules. Soccer, for example. You watch it for like five minutes and you get the hang of the idea, right? Say, okay, kick the ball into the goal on the other side. I got it. That's like 80% of the game. You watch other sports like American football, and I love the sport, right? I love watching it. it, it it's, it's, I, you know, I'm a fan of the Falcons, whatever, but I don't get all the rules. It's so bad that during overtime in the NFL, they actually put the rules of overtime on the screen, and there's like 15 bullet points on there, and I'm like, it, you know, it's confusing for me. It's confusing for the players. It's just a mess, right? But every game has its own rules, and the empires know them, the referees know them, and the athletes have to abide by them. They have to know them to win the game. 
We have to be obedient to the scriptures. We have to be obedient to uh, the rules, the boundaries, the parameters that we find in here, to the truths that are in here. Because here's what happens if we don't. If we don't read the Bible for what it is and obey God, which is worth more than all sacrifice, more than all worship, then we have a danger of feeling like the game is rigged against us. We might fall into a trap of thinking that God is against me, that religion is against me, that I am following all the rules of the Bible, yet nothing is happening. And that could be because you or I don't have a good understanding of what the Bible actually says. We're not obedient to God. We're obedient to what other people say or what other people say that the Bible says, but in fact, it's not true. I was reading a story today of this worship leader who was the worship leader of a large megachurch up in Michigan, like 10,000 people, very successful. Um, she even had like CDs out and, um, um, well, CDs, albums, <laughs> um, and the, very well known within the Christian, the contemporary worship community. And she got to a point, though, where they tried to have kids, her and her husband. And she prayed and she prayed and nothing happened. Her understanding of the rules was, if I pray for something, God will give it to me. He has to give it to me. The people in her church as well were saying, just pray more, pray harder, fast more, fast harder, and eventually God will give you a baby. He will. But it didn't happen. She didn't understand what it means to be obedient to what the Bible actually says. And that's sad. I say that with great sadness because it really affected her faith. She stopped being a worship leader. She moved out. Um, her husband's not a Christian anymore. I mean, it's, it's a whole thing that happened because Scripture, God himself, was not properly understood. The, the rules, the parameters of what God's actually saying were misunderstood, and they felt like it was rigged against them. And when it's rigged against you, you feel like there's no shot of you ever winning. So you drop out. Don't be obedient to the wrong rules, to the wrong words, to the wrong truth about the gospel. Don't be obedient to the rules of your former self either. Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you're held up in those rules and in those old ways, you feel like everything is constantly rigged against you and that you have no hope. Don't follow your previous desires from your own self when you didn't know any better. Don't conform yourself to the pattern of this world's thinking. Don't try to change the rules yourself because in doing so, you will change God in your mind. You can't change God, but in your mind, you'll be serving a different God. When you try to change what Scripture says and you are disobedient to His Word, you'll end up serving a different version of the gospel. So let's develop the habit of being obedient to God's actual Word, amen, and taking time, training ourselves to study it, to read it, to look at the hard verses, but to realize that, hey, you know what? Christianity is not a transaction between us and God in which I can pray and ask for whatever I want and God has to give it to me. That's false Christianity. That's not real Christianity. Or saying that 
God wants me to be wealthy. God wants me to be healthy. Those are blessings from God, don't get me wrong, but they're not necessarily the absolute norm. I mean, Paul himself was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was whipped. He was lashed. He was uh, broken. He was left for dead. He was hungry. He was starving. He was naked. And no, he wasn't wrestling. He was like clothes ripped off him. He was absolutely destitute. And he asked God when he had a pain in his side, he said, Lord, take this thorn out of my flesh. Take this away from me because I can't stand it. And what does God say to him? He says, no, I left it for, for you in there because I want you to see that in your weakness, my power is made perfect. How about if we adopted that more in our, in our, our rules, if you will, in our, in our uh, worldview of our relationship with Christ, realizing that we're not going to have everything in this world. Everything is not going to be perfect in this world. But by God's grace and by his spirit, there will be joy and there will be power, not from you, but from him through you. And that's why when Paul says in Philippians 4 that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, not because I can, I can run every single race and win first place and, and, and be wealthy and be healthy, but because I will be content with everything that I have. That's what Paul is saying in that verse. And that's what we have to learn. If we are obedient to that worldview, we can then start to understand and to grasp just a little bit of God's all-sufficient grace in our lives. And we will never, ever feel like he is against us. We will feel like the world is against us, and they are, but greater is he than the one that is in the world. Amen? That's the God that we serve. Another habit we must develop is self-control. Self-control. 1 Corinthians 9.25 says, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. Um, an athlete is, is required to abstain from certain things if they want to get to the highest level. They can't eat certain things. They can't drink certain things. They have to go to bed early, right? Um, I was reading that Serena Williams, for example, after 10 months after she had the baby, she won Wimbledon, and she says, you know what my secret was? Sleep. I slept like at least eight hours a day. I made sure I had a comfortable mattress, a comfortable bed, but I made sure that I slept no matter what, and I napped through the day. I come back to Tom Brady, and guess what? <laughs> The same thing. He's saying, I got to sleep like eight hours a day. He goes to sleep at 8.30 p.m. before his kids. I mean, it's, it's 8.30 right now, right? This is the time that he's going to sleep. Um, and he wakes up early, whatever. At that level, though, like, they take it seriously. And they give up a lot of things. But they realize that to train, to properly train, to properly get what, is it, what, what we're shooting towards and what we're aiming towards, you have to start training now. And Paul says that they train for a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. We're not training for stuff of this world or something that will disappear, but something that lasts forever. Self-control is, is, is part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you or I try self-control in our temptations and in our, um, our lusts and in the things that are um, part of our old past, Eventually, we'll slip up. We'll fail. But the Word tells us that God has not allowed a temptation before us that we're not able to conquer through the power of His Holy Spirit. Let's not believe the lie that there are just certain things that we're going to have to live with. 
for the rest of our lives. Johnny, I've tried. I've tried giving up this. I've tried giving up this addiction, this, this drug. I've tried giving up uh, lusting. I've tried giving up gossiping. I guess this is just part of who I am. And that's a lie that will keep you going in circles. It'll keep you going in circles. I think Satan tries to convince us a lot of times that if we're good with 99% of ourselves, we can keep on to this 1%. We can hold on to this. But that's not godliness. That's not what God wants us to be, and that's not how we should be training. We have to guard our heart, as I preached on Sunday, from Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Are you refusing the toxic junk food, spiritual junk food of this world? Are we being careful in what we listen to and what we read and what we see and with who we're with? Or can we ask the Spirit for some help and say, Holy Spirit, your fruit gives me love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and the last but certainly not the least, what? Self-control. I firmly believe that if we train ourselves, if, if we get up every morning and we say, Holy Spirit, I need your help. I need the self-control in this area because I can't be pleasing to the Father if I'm lying to myself. I'm lying to God. If we sincerely do that, I think we can have a tremendous change in our lives, a tremendous change in our church. Jesus himself, at one point, was praying to God in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was praying to God the Father. And what was he saying? He's saying, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, God incarnate, in his physical human form was at the point where he said, I don't know if I can do this. I, I, I don't know if this is, is right for me right now. Lord, give me self-control to do your will. And Jesus never sinned. He was human and on this earth. He suffered and he was hungry. He was thirsty. He was in pain. But he showed us it can be done with the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A few more habits. We have to strive for 100%. Strive for 100%. First Timothy 4.10 says, For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God. For this end we toil and strive. Have you ever watched a game, and when one team wins, the announcer might say something like, Well, that team just wanted to win the most. They really wanted to win the game more than the other team. They put everything they had and they left everything there on the field and they gave 100%. When Paul says this, when he talks about toiling or laboring, it means to toil to the point of, of exhaustion. In the pursuit of holiness, 
We have to give ourselves to God fully, unconditionally, 100%. When we read Scripture, you know, it's so easy to just glance over it and check off that you've read your chapter for the day. But someone once said, and I was really trying to remember, but I can't remember who, they said that uh, Scripture does not reveal itself to the lazy. Now listen, there are some things in there that are pretty simple to understand, do unto your neighbor as you would have them do unto you. Uh, obviously, it's really profound, but we can all kind of read that and say, okay, just be kind and, 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 and show love and be Christ-like. But then there are other things that you scratch your head and you're like, what is going on here? And it's easy to just kind of skip over it and leave it for someone else. But the gospel, the word of God is like a treasure and going after it and seeking after it and praying for that word, and asking the Spirit to reveal it to you, not for some mystery that no one else has ever heard of before, or from, for some other uh, uh, tips and tricks or deep things of the Bible. No, but for you, Lord, help me see what this word really means, what you really need me to understand through this word. Spurgeon also said uh, that it's not just hard work that we must do, but hot work that we must do, not just hard, but hot, meaning we got to do it with passion. When we read scripture, when we pray, when we fast, when we, when we do these disciplines of a Christian, when we worship, we should do it not just to check off a list, but to do it with passion, with, with yearning, with, with honesty before God, saying, Lord, I'm doing this so I can know more of you, not so that I can earn something from you. There's a big, big difference. Being a Christian is not a part-time duty. It's not something that you hold off until you're older. It's not something that you say, I'll have time later to do it. Listen, the habits that you develop right now at your age, okay, I'm a little bit older. I'm a little bit more set in my ways, I'll admit, but at like, you know, teenage years, that's the perfect time to develop these good habits that will lead towards godliness because it will stay with you. Just like my my shooting form has stayed with me all those years. There are things that I did when I was younger. They're still with me now. There are things I wish I would have done better and differently and with more honesty and with more reverence before God, but I didn't. And it's a lot harder later on in life when uh, just different responsibilities come and a different season of life comes. Don't be satisfied with the you of yesterday. Strive to be more like Jesus today. That's what these habits are for. Not be satisfied. Give it 100% even from right now. And the last thing that we need to be focused on, the last habit, is singular focus. Singular focus. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Going back to sports, when, they, when, when the wide receiver misses a catch or a batter misses a swing, again, the announcer usually says, he took his eye off the ball. He took his eye off the ball and he missed. They've done studies that if runners focus on a particular point and don't look around them, they will get to that point faster because they're not distracted by the things around them. 
they will feel like it's faster as well. Even though they're hurting, even though their legs are on fire, even though their mouth is, 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 is dry, they're focused on the point. They're focused on, I don't know, a finish line, something. And they say, I have to get there. I need to get there. I don't care what I'm feeling right now. I'm thinking of how good it's going to feel over there. And when we look at ourselves and in our race of faith to the end, we don't look at what's going on now and get distracted by it. We look to the perfecter of our faith. We fix our eyes and fix our gaze on him and say, that's what I'm looking towards. That's what I'm focusing towards. I'm giving all. I'm giving my 100% to get to that point. Paul himself wrote in Philippians 3.13 that he forgets what lies behind. Oftentimes we look behind us though and we take all that baggage with us. We take all the stuff from our old life, all the stuff from, from our old creation and bring it with us and it hinders us and we don't train seriously and we keep it with us as baggage and we have a backpack on full of weights and we don't... <laughs> We're not obedient to the word of God. We take on other rules and legalism and different things that look like Jesus but are not Jesus. We don't give it 100%. We don't fix our eyes on Jesus. And we wonder why we're going in circles. We wonder why the you of one year ago, two years ago, five years ago, why the me of five years ago, ten years ago looks just about the same as you do now. Because I'll tell you something from my experience. I thought 15 years ago, I'd have it all figured out by now. And right now, I think 15 years from now, I'll have it all figured out by now. It's not the case. You don't just wake up one day and all of a sudden you're more like God. It requires us pursuing God, knowing more of Him, searching His words, searching His scripture. I don't want you, I don't want us to fall into the lie that it's just going to happen somehow. God asks us to be serious about this, to be serious about change, to be serious about letting go of some things and taking on some other things from him. I'd like for us to stand up, please. I want to invite the worship team up here. So this is my trophy from high school basketball. And it says, Champions, North Gwinnett Basketball Association, 15 through 18-year-old tournament, 2005-2006. Do the math. After much toil and sweat and struggle, early mornings, and late nights, they gave me this piece of plastic. It's not, it's not real metal, okay? They gave me this uh, very nice-looking piece of plastic. I'll say that. And I look back, and that was a moment that at the time was unbelievable. I didn't think I was going to win. I really didn't. Um, I was not the best player on my team. 
I practiced, I tried, but there were people that were much, much better than I was. But I gave it all that I had, all that I could. I did what the rules asked me to do. I was obedient. I had my eyes focused on this. And it happened. We are called to look for a day when we will have a crown as well, when we will have a medal as well. And it won't be one of this world. It won't be a perishable one. It will be one that's imperishable. Now, thank God that nothing that we could ever do could really earn us that crown. Ever, ever. He has done that work for us. Here's what Paul says. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who loved his appearing. Not only to Paul, but to you and to you and to you and to me. God saved us. God wants us to grow. He wants us to change, to not lose sight of the prize. Know that God and his spirit will keep you and will help you and will guide you in those times. And there shall be no temptation that can overcome you if we're obedient to his word if we're focused, if we're serious about our training, if we give 100%, if we have our eyes fixed on the prize, if we have our eyes fixed on Jesus. Do you want to change tonight? Do you want to change in this evening? Are you happy with the you of yesterday? Are you happy with the you right now? Look at my life and there's a lot of things I need to change. A lot more serious and a lot more things. Pray that the Spirit has spoken to you as well. Pray that the Holy Spirit of God keeps you and he brings to light things in your life that in this evening change. Not for your glory, not so you can feel better, but for his glory and for his name alone. And that on that day when we finish the race and we finish the good fight, he will crown us and we will worship for all eternity. Let's worship.